started. Oh, it took us live automatically. It didn't even give me 30 seconds. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Jones Harwell, and you are on Journeys with Jones Harwell. I have got a treat for you all today. This beautiful woman who is gracing the screen with me is Dr. Sandra Butler Truesdale. She is a native Washingtonian, a licensed minister, ordained minister, who is a member of Metropolitan AME Baptist AME Church in Washington, DC, the lead minister of the ministries. She is also the founder and chairperson of DC Legendary Musicians, a former member of the Howard Theater Board. She currently sits on the board as a chairperson for the Howard Theater Community Committee, a DC historian, an R&B historian. She has worked with the likes of the late Ray Charles, James Brown, and she continues to document history of our great music and musicians in the DMV area. I know her personally. She is honorary godmother, grandmother <laughs> to my son. Welcome, Dr. Truesdale. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. It is such a pleasure to have you on the show. When I think about, particularly this month, because this, of course this is the month that we celebrate um, Black history, but when I think of history period and in conjunction with DC, and I think we've had this conversation, part of my family, my paternal family has been in this DC area, metropolitan area since 1937. So we have been here a long time. We migrated to this area. And just to hear the history of, of DC and the music in itself, because I love music, I was just so happy that you were gonna come on the show and have a conversation with us. So first off, let's talk about uh, your work in the community because you are an activist, you are an advocate, not only for musicians, but also uh, our black community, senior citizens in our community. Let's talk a little bit about that first. Um, well, you know, I started out working in the community as a very young woman. My, well, young girl, actually, because my mom and my dad were involved in the civil rights movement here back in the day when um, Black Americans could not even, if you want to believe it, ride Yellow Cab. That was mm -hmm. a Yellow Cab company here. Um, and so white cab drivers would not pick up black um, riders. And so from that came Capital Cab Company. Uh, and so they organized our own cab company after blacks went on a strike about using public transportation, they walked because they could not uh, you know, get a cab or, mm. or any kind of transportation that way. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a gentleman and I can't remember his first name but his last name was Wright who organized a uh, capital cab company. Now you do not see uh, capital cabs out anymore because they the cabs were black and orange like. Mm. Um, but people, when I talk to people about these things, they say to me, oh, I can't believe that that happened in Washington, DC. 
But what they don't realize is this is a southern town and we are below the Mason-Dixon line. I don't recall in my lifetime that we were not able to ride the buses, um, you know, the front of the bus. I don't remember having to go to the back of the bus. But I do remember that there were streetcars and that there were no black streetcar drivers, no women drivers at all. Mm. Finally, um, it became Capital Transit and then DC Transit. And the gentleman who owned, actually owned um, uh, DC Transit, owned the football team. And he was racist to the bone. Because if you go back and look at that history, the right. Red Kids, as they were called at that time, mm -hmm. were the last team in the NFL to hire Black players. In the, and that's in the nation's capital. That wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, South Africa. That was right here in Washington, D.C. So people, basically, they either don't know this history or they prefer to not acknowledge it. And I would I say to you and I say to anybody, if you do not document your own history, then someone else will document it and they'll Amen. document where they want to be. Amen. Yeah. So I come out of that group of, well, I'm not young people anymore, but that group of people who went to segregated schools, not because I wanted to, because I had to. Mm. I walked from 8th and Varnum Street to 13th and Clifton Street every day past Roosevelt High School because I couldn't go to Roosevelt. Wow. And then they decided to integrate and I decided you didn't want me then, now I don't want you. <laughs> so I kept on walking. Yeah, I kept right on walking. You know, and I never had that need. I never had the need to go to school with other than Black people. I'm so thankful because I learned my own history. See, we didn't have Black History Month. They had Black History Week or Negro History Week, they called mm, it. Wow. And, 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 um, in the school system that I came from, they taught us our history every day. So I didn't have to wait 28 days. See, they gave, watch this. They gave you the shortest month in the year. They mm -hmm. gave you 28 days of your history. Mm -hmm. 400 years, and they gave you 28 days? Come on, girl. You know. Mm -mm. Right. So I, right. That, that's one of the reasons that I am so adamant, not only about documenting the music history, because that's mm -hmm. extremely important. Yes. To let people know what went down in the DC history. I mean, our neighborhoods, the white flight and all of that, you have to understand what that's about because it was redlining in Washington DC. Did you know that? Explain that a little bit so people understand what you're saying when you say redlining. Redlining is when neighborhoods get together and decide that they want their neighborhood to just be all white. Ooh. They don't want they they make it so you can't even go to the bank and even if you had the money, you can't buy the property in their in what they call their neighborhood. So when 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 blacks were pushed out of Georgetown mm -hmm. and then pushed out of Southwest and they began to migrate up to upper Northwest because mm -hmm. my mother, her first home she bought 
at 404 8th Street Southwest, one block from Dewey Hughes' family, across from HEW. Now it's HUD because they pushed all the black people out, paid them to leave, and said, now when, when we get finished with the neighborhood, then you can come back. They knew they couldn't come back because they knew right. that the property value was going to rise. So my mother and her wisdom bought in Petworth. And so I was basically raised um, as a teenager up 55 years at 801 Varnum Street Northwest. And that's why I tell you that I walked from Varnum Street to Clifton Street. And I know exactly where that, that is because we were in Petworth as well. We used to be up at 13th and Shepherd. Yeah. And that's where our family home was for years mm -hmm. in that area. So I'm well, very familiar with, with the Petworth area. I understand. And I, you you're telling me that yesterday you won an award. Oh, girl, I was so pleased. Uh, when Paul Carr called me about two weeks ago to tell me, I mean, I thought he was calling me to ask me about a gig or, you know, anything other than um, Dr. Truesdale, we're going to um, honor you. And I was like, honor me for what? You know, this is what I do. <laughs> so he said, we're going to give you um, an award for uh, the Mid-Atlantic Jazz Festival. Wow. And I was, uh, honestly, I was honored to be among David Yarborough and another gentleman that I really don't know well. I just met him the other day. His name is Chris, and I don't even remember his last name. But um, I was honored to be among them. You know, Davey has a great history uh, as a saxophonist in, in D.C. Mm -hmm. and, and, and an educator and a counselor and all those other things. So for me to be among them, girl, that was such an honor. And so it was yesterday that they gave the award and, and I felt so blessed and so humbled that they thought enough of me. To and do that. I, I know that music is and has been your passion for, for most of your life because I've heard some of the conversations that we've had. Um, you've mentored my son and you've introduced him to several uh, musicians here in the Washington DC area. But you talked about how you worked with the late great Ray Charles and James Brown. <laughs> and, and I think people, you know, don't understand that the history of our music, because we are such a diverse people and we touch every culture musically wise, clothes, fashion, art, um, just everything about us. Why is it so important to continue to educate about specifically, you know, the music here? Because we've had some great, great legends just come out of the Washington, D.C. area. It, absolutely. I uh, One of the reasons that is extremely important is that this music that we hear that is known as jazz actually is the music that originated from Black Americans. And not just that, R&B and mm -hmm. all many other of the genres of music, um, even bluegrass, did you know that? No. My grandmother, I remember that my grandmother, uh, my great-great-grandmother, came, they came from Virginia, Orange County. and But my grandmother used to 
<laughs> I, I remember her arning over the arm board and humming and singing bluegrass because she could really sing. And, and she would tell me that that music came out of the hills of Virginia. Mm. And um, so that is the, the music that we know is, is our music. And that music has been stolen. Let's make it clear. Let's make that clear. It's been stolen. Now, some of it we gave away because that's the way black people are. They just give right. stuff away. Mm -hmm. But um, that, that music is just such a great music. And it is, to my knowledge, one of the only mu original musics that come out of the United States. And wow. that's a part of that history. Mm -hmm. And so while I'm not, I'm not angry about it, but it needs to be documented. We need to know about John Coltrane. We need to know about Hank Crawford. I mean, not just we, our children need to know this. And my sister, let me tell you that I have been watching the new jazz institutes and the music institutes. And guess what? For whatever reasons, our young black males and females are not in those institutes. I see a Paul Carr, a Davy Yarborough, the DC Youth Orchestra, I see them teaching that music mm -hmm. to 98% white students. Let me back up. I'm not angry about it, but we need to educate our children, to let them know that those institutes are there. I spoke to a young lady at the Kennedy Center just the other day. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this. And she said, do you know why? I said, not really. She said, because the arts are fully funded. And even though we, they, we try to say it's integration, fully funded in those schools that are predominantly white. Yes. But in the black schools, it's only That's maybe the first thing that gets cut. That's you're exactly right. You know, and I want Muriel Bowser to hear this since they decided to steal the Board of Education from the elected people. That's what they did because they wanted to control that budget because mm -hmm. the education budget is extreme, it, it, it's high. I served on the elected board for eight years, so I know what the budget is. They brought a chancellor here. But every time they bring somebody here, they bring them from out of town, somebody that knows nothing about our system that they can control. I'm not going to say that they don't care about the children. But I asked the question, if they did, why wouldn't the children care about themselves? See, I, I, I watched that whole scenario mm -hmm. and how the teachers union fights to try to get Con some kind of control so that our children can be educated. Now, trust me, I'm a union woman, so but I know they're not always right either because I watch some of the things that they do and say. They're not always right, but nobody's always right. right. But I tell you that if these parents, these people who say that they love their children, don't get this party started and look out for their children, their children, our children, are going to be left behind. Don't you think that's a part of the plan? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you one other thing, and you didn't ask me this, but there was a time 
when there were great job opportunities, particularly there was the civil service exam and in and, and, and the federal government and whatnot. And they said that we couldn't qualify for the jobs because we didn't have enough education. Well, we got all the education. Then they changed the script. <laughs> then they said it's about seniority. Hello. Seniority, you know, last hired first five. Mm -hmm. After that, when the senior, when we became the senior employee, guess what happened? They switched the arena again. And then they removed the whole civil service concept. Did you say systematic racism? No. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to say it. I said it. <laughs> but I'm just telling you what this journey is about. And I'm telling you that I have lived this. People say, how do you know all that? Because I lived it. it. It happened within this period of my lifetime. Between 1939 and 1890, what is this, 2021? Right. And then I see a mob come with a hanging loop on the capital of the United States of America. And you ask me, am I mad? I dare you to ask me if I'm mad. I know you're mad. I'm <laughs> <laughs> mad. Yeah, I'm mad. Yeah, I'm mad as hell and I'm not taking it anymore. <laughs> yeah, beyond, beyond, beyond. And, you know, people, uh, I, I think because I, I remember um, a story that I always tell people. Jalon had to be maybe three years old. And we went downtown for a showing. My my brother came. He was asked to show his shoes. He's a, a shoemaker. And he was at this showing. And we walked into the bathroom. And in the bathroom walked Dr. Dorothy Height. Now, I was like, <laughs> you know, but... Humble just said, can you just say a few words to my son? I didn't even ask for an autograph. I was just like, just can you say a few words? And I remember the next day saying to someone, I met Dr. Dorothy Height. Who? Mm -hmm. What you mean who? I know. I know. I was it's like, what do you mean who? But that's <laughs> the, that's the point. That is it. That's the whole point. If you don't know your history, don't follow your history. Now, I was fortunate enough to have, you know, a set of bonus grandparents. So I heard music from from gospel to R&B to rock to country to big band. I heard it all you know, every genre I heard. So it helped to shape me. And I think it helped to shape Jalan because when he started to listening to music, even though, you know, his primary thing right now is rap. Mm -hmm. But when he picks up that instrument, he plays blues. Yeah. And he can play it. Now, don't make no mistake about it. Let's get that clear. <laughs> he can play. How old is he? 17 now. The boy's been playing. <laughs> let me see. I've known him almost two years. He was playing it when he was 15. The mm -hmm. boy can play that music now. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah. But that's, but that's, you know, still him learning because we made sure 
that there is part of history that we still share with him, that he still sees, that he still hears. So we have to make sure, as just like you said, as parents, we show them these things. We tell them these things because uh, I was having a conversation with um, a young lady last week, and I was saying how the state of Texas, when you talked about rewriting history, that they were going back in the history books and glossing over stuff because they just want you to know the pretty parts. You know, you can't advance and you can't grow knowing just the pretty parts of life. It's absolutely true. It's no question about that. And that's why we as a country are where we are today because, I mean, and I know this sounds (laughs) like they used to say to us, I have several white friends, but they are like a lot of other people. They don't want to, they don't want to talk about it. And we somehow think, oh, I'm so hurt. I don't want to talk about it. What do you mean you don't want to talk about it? The only way you can find a solution is put it out there on the table. And I'm not talking about identifying problems and just talking about them. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about put it on the table and find a solution. But it's, that is not what they really, and I'm not talking about the people that I, I communicate with, but right. that is not what this country is about. It's not. They, it is not their intent to resolve these problems. It is their intent to do exactly what you just said, and that's to gloss over it mm-hmm. and to, to regulate the history and to write it any kind of way. Because if you're not careful, they, and they try it every now and then to write slavery out of the history. Right. I'm not one of those that say that they need to take all the statues down because I want my grandchildren, great grandchildren, I want to point to them. And I want to point to Abraham Lincoln's statue and say, let me tell you, they said that he freed the slave. Now go do the research and find out did he really do it? Right. And if he did it, why did he do it? You understand? You got, don't just tell me that that Abraham Lincoln was the greatest president in the United States of America. They told us as when I was a little girl that George Washington threw a half a dollar across the Potomac. You know, that's a lie. (laughs) You know, he threw nothing. No. And they said he said he never told a lie. Now that's another lie. They Mm -hmm. were actually teaching children that. So I'm, I'm, that's why I'm telling you, they wrote, they write their history any way they want it to be mm-hmm. and gloss over stuff. So, and here is one of the other things that is really sad to me is that a lot of these children that is Jalan's age, they have parents that are maybe 32 years old and they don't even know their history. And the grandmother right. may be 48 and she doesn't know. It. Right. So. That's one of the reasons, and I know I, I I did post something the other day saying I know that some of the things that I write is hard. They're hard to read. But let me tell you something. It ain't nothing like the truth. Amen. 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 And I think that's part, part, part of the reason why you do so much of your work with the DC legendary musicians is because all of that history too is wrapped up into that. So tell us some of the things that you've been able to, um, to do within the DMC area. I know prior to COVID 
And I know last summer you were working with the Kennedy Center on the Kennedy Couch Center series. Uh, part of that was going on and you had other platforms that was also being uh, presented at the Kennedy Center. Tell us about some of those. Oh, well, um, we did the DC Symphony and the Motown Sound. We filled the concert hall. It was full and running over. And it was all DC musicians, all from, well, actually from the DMV. Mm -hmm. We did the whole thing, girl. We had uh, the violins and the cello and, you know, the whole thing. We did Diana Ross, the Temptations, uh, the Marvelettes and everybody else that, that you could think of. Um, and it was a great thing. But the Kennedy Center has been very nice to me, I would say. Uh, I have been able to bring people like Jill on mm -hmm. and Paul Parr's orchestra. Um, DC legendary musicians to the millennium stage. And now that we're doing the um, the cultural caucus, is that what that's called? Okay. They gave the DC legendary musicians a fabulous grant um, that is, we got it for two years. And so we have really been able to do some wonderful things, for instance, uh, the Thanksgiving project that we have done for the past five years, where we give musicians in the DMV a hand up around Thanksgiving. Those who need uh, to have a basket, or they call mm -hmm. them, well, actually they're really boxes, but it's the whole Thanksgiving meal for them and their families, along with um, a turkey and that whole thing. Right, right. This year, because of the COVID-19, uh, God blessed us to be able to raise enough money to give musicians um, a gift card from Safeway stores so that they could buy their own groceries, whatever they wanted for Christmas. And Safeway contributed to that. All right. So we have been really... Um, blessed. And now Metropolitan AME, which is the church that I'm connected with, gave mm -hmm. us a $2,500 grant to help to feed musicians during these difficult times. But we've also been able to do some virtual uh, performances and mm -hmm. just be creative to try to assist some of our musicians in being able to perform, you know, maybe with the tip bucket and and unfortunately, the program that I do on WPFW, which is mm -hmm. um, live at five on Thursdays, we've not been able to do that because they've not been able to figure out how uh, we can social distance hmm. and do it. Okay. So, you know, it's 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 been musicians and gig workers have had a hard time. Hard time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. One of the things that and I, I'm going to leave you with this, and just, so you can at least ask me another question. But I mentioned to one of the real fabulous piano players the uh, just uh, posted today, jazz musicians, not just in Washington, D.C., but jazz musicians tend to think that they're different from other musicians, you see. And basically it's because they can read and do what they do. And so mm -hmm. they keep themselves separate from mm -hmm. R&B church musicians because all of those are genres, you know. Right. And they keep themselves separate, as do the classical musicians. 
because they think that they are different. Mm -hmm. But let me just tell you that COVID-19, let them all know, <laughs> none of y'all can work. And I said to him, 88 keys on the piano plays rock and roll, rhythm and blues, jazz, and classical music. So what does that mean? It's all the same. Mm -hmm. And so uh, now I'm waiting for him. <laughs> I'm waiting to see him. What's he going to do? Yeah. So he can bust me out, but it's okay. But you know what? I, I have found that there have been some really, really creative things. I was watching the news the other day and there was a gentleman, I think he was an event planner and he was unable to, uh, you know, COVID shut him down completely. One of his pastime hobbies, which he loved trivia, he did an event online playing trivia. Yes. And ended up, you know, charging just a little bit, you know, just a little bit of money. But that was his way of, re he said, reinventing myself. So I think, you know, that was one of the reasons why COVID came around, because I think we had gotten too busy. Yes. You know, just too busy going here to here to here to here, all this technology, and just not really taking the time to focus on the things that we needed to refocus on. Our kids, education, healthcare, mm -hmm you know, uh, the environment, um, you know, so hopefully we will come out of this with some, some real lessons learned. Um, not to say that we're going to change because we're normally creatures of habit. As soon as something, you know, we get through something, we do good for a couple of weeks and then it disappears <laughs> from our mind. And here we go right back we go. to the yeah. way we were before, <laughs> you know. So hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be able to take all of this into account and, you know, make some real changes. Before we um, close out today, I just wanted to know if you wanted to share some of the stories, because like you said, you've worked with some of the greatest musicians in the world. You have any stories that you'd like to share with us? Well, you know, um, those musicians were, they were really great musicians. Now, Ray Charles um, was a man that he played several genres, you know, he played the blues, he played jazz. Um, and the reason that they called him the right reverend is because he sounded like he was playing gospel. Mm -hmm. I mean, when he hit the piano, that's what it sounded like. Um, but he was an interesting gentleman that was, he would do almost anything. He could do almost anything because one of the things that he said in his story was that his mom would not allow him to become dependent. So he learned how to do it, almost anything. And one of the things that I really, every time some, I think about this story is I fall out laughing because, you know, Ray flew his own plane. He flew no. his plane blind as he was. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's well, you know. Um, but not not for long distances, but the pilot. He had his own pilot, and he would let him get behind, you know, and fly the plane. But he was at least, he was a funny guy, mm -hmm. but he was like, a, a he was a man. And just because he was blind didn't mean that he, <laughs> that he wasn't a man. He, one of the things that I really, it would really tickle me was because he had this habit of grabbing a woman by the wrist. Mm. And he claimed, or they claim, most blind men claim that they can tell 
how a woman is made or how she's built by holding the lower part of her wrist. Mm. And uh, <laughs> so, I mean, he would do all, <laughs> he did all those kinds of things. But like I said, he had, a, I liked him because he had a nice personality and I liked him because I was able to work for him. Actually, I did Margie Hendricks' hair and, mm. and the girl that was with the Ray, Ray Letts. And it was a girl named Gloria Johnson. No, her name was Gwen Johnson. And I think they're all passed now. Uh, Gwen uh, sang with the Ray Letts as well. That's how I really got hooked up with them. But um, they were, it was fun. Mm. Davey, David, Fat Hand Newman, and <laughs> Hank Crawford, girl, please. <laughs> But and 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 it you know what I was really thankful for mm -hmm. as I pursued that career was that I was born and raised in a holiness church, so they taught me values and and what I should and should not do. So I did not get really hooked up in a lot of things that women on the road uh, got hooked up with. I mean, mm -hmm. I did my job, and a lot of times I would go on back to the room or go ahead on to the hotel or wherever I was going, because um, it was a job to me. It wasn't about the musicians and who I could lay with and all that stuff. It was a, a job to me. And the, most of those guys ended up like Calvin Jones that mm -hmm. ended up at UDC. They, they were like my brothers and they did a lot to protect me. Um, and then James, um, James was very complex. Um, I was really ready to go home when I, I introduced him to the jewels. I introduced the jewels to Ray Charles, and that's how they got on the road. Not Ray Charles, I'm sorry, James Brown. That's how they got on the road with James. Mm -hmm. But um, he, I always thought that something must have happened in his life that made him so, I don't know whether I would say angry, but so resentful towards women. Mm. He was extremely abusive. And women... I was always wonder why did they cater to him like like that? I mean, once you do certain things, you know, it looked like you would be ready to go home or something. Right. So my reason for leaving him uh, and leaving that group was because of his abusiveness towards women. And see, when I talked to men about that, they made all kinds of excuses for James. See, I did his hair, so I knew what he was about. But I was able, with the blessed help of God, that mm -hmm. I never got involved with him. I never, that was, it was just a job. It was a job to me. His drummer, Clayton Filliard, uh, lived in my house on Varnum Street. He lived with, he didn't live with me. He lived in the house. Mm -hmm. um, and so he sort of protected me as well. And then there was another guy named Nat the Cat that was a great photographer, had a great history and uh, of 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 pictures and things of a lot of musicians. Mm -hmm. And um, those two guys took care of me. Thank God. But I enjoyed it. Um, I learned a lot. I loved the music. And girl, I used to love to dance. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could still cut a rug if you got out there. <laughs> if they put it out there, girl, you know it. Uh -huh. <laughs> I love it. 
I danced all around the house yesterday when, when they had the dance festival. I told Paul Carson, boy, I've been dancing for three days. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so if people want to learn more about you, learn more about the DC Legends, I know you put a book out a couple of years ago. Um, do you, Yes. Talk about that for a minute. Um, this is a book about Washington, D.C.'s jazz musicians. You see Ron Holloway and mm -hmm. Buck Hill on the front of that book. Um, they're mostly, and it says Washington, D.C. jazz, but I was the co-author, and because I could, <laughs> I stuck some R&B artists and, you know, um, some, other, some other artists in the book. And so now I'm glad you said it, because now you and I are talking about uh, the possibility of doing uh, another book yes. on Washington, D.C.'s musicians. Yes. And, I, and, and the musicians are just like, when, when? They're ready for the interview and everything. So um, my reason for doing it, though, was to document the history of people uh, uh, like um, Jimmy Cobb, mm -hmm. Carter Jefferson. Uh, and those were two musicians that I was raised in the neighborhood where they, where they were, wow. you know. Um, but um, I just love, I, I've always loved music. And I'll close with this. My grandfather was a harmonicist. My uncle was a jazz fanatic. My uncle Blayton had two stations on listening to music and his record player. See, people don't know about record players. I know <laughs> about record players. Three, girl, <laughs> he had all three playing yard, the Yardbird and everybody else. But he had them all on at one time in different mm -hmm. rooms. And you, you would say, what is wrong with him? But he loved the music. And so I learned to love the music. And then my grandfather, besides being a harmonicus, he loved March music. Mm. And so we had music in our house all the time. And then lastly, musicians was all over the street. Did you know that musicians used to put, they would put a chord in a, in a wash tub. Mm. and tied to a broom and play it like they were playing a bass. Wow. I was, and, and these, they used to really have street musicians. You could walk down the street and it may be a saxophonist and the, you know, they just be standing in the street playing music. And then came the doo-woppers under the lamppost. Mm -hmm. I have lived through a tremendous time. I mean, I, I'm sure that other people have too, but it's been a tremendous time. I thank God. And I just say, keep the music playing. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing the music and telling us about the music too, because that is so important. So the book, what's the name of the book? I'm going to put it in the comments and tell them where they can find it. The book is Washington DC Jazz. Okay. Images of America. And I have copies of it. They can contact me at um, on Facebook to order a book if they like. You know, they can go into the message section and order the book. And it's just $19.99. It has all kinds of wonderful pictures in it. And it will actually help us, you and me, mm -hmm. to go to the next edition, which will be Washington, D.C. R&B. Okay. 
And then if they want to make contributions to the DC legend, they can, can they also get to that one on the Facebook as well? You guys have a page there? Yeah, no, we have, they can go to our website. Okay. At dclmusicians.org and hit the donate page. And it will come directly into our account. Okay. And one, and in closing, we are in the process now of planning for a uh, conference of musicians to talk about music and also the arts. And we're going to invite our new DC council people in to see what their commitment is to uh, the arts in the DMV. Wonderful, 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 wonderful. I have enjoyed this conversation today. We have got to come together again because another one of your projects that you're looking to do too is to talk about the history of DC in itself Um, from from segregation to today. So that would talk about, you talk about the U Street Corridor. You're talking about, as you said, how the redlining, how they were moving them out of Southwest, moving them out of, uh, the Georgetown area up to the Petworth Northeast Southeast area, and now that, that and and it still continues. Yeah. <laughs> I'm changed. Still continues. Yeah. You know that that the bump out is still the bump out going, yeah. and you know uh, statehood. We could even talk about uh, DC statehood. And do you ever think that DC will become a state? I'm not sure. Um, I it's thought not, it doesn't I was, look like it's in their best interest to, to do well, it. Well, you know why? And we said we weren't going to talk politics. But right. You know why? Because that would be two um, congressional representatives and a senator, mm-hmm. which would make three that would be Democrat. So the Republicans are not going to be in favor of it. But here's what this time, the White House, the Congress, and the Senate is Democrat. So it's a better chance of it happening. I started out in the statehood movement with Walter Fontroy. Yes, I remember so, meeting him. Yeah. So uh, what I'm thinking is if it, if, if it is to be, it's going to be right. Do it, because I don't know that this will happen again, that Democrats will be in charge of all three houses. So let's see. Let's see. <laughs> It's on the table. We'll see. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my queen. Thank you, my queen, for sharing knowledge with us today. I can't wait to have you back on the show so we can talk more about events that are coming up for the DC Legendary Musicians. And you've because you always have something that's going on. And especially, hopefully, if we come out of, of some restrictions this summer and can get back to, to having some outdoor activities, I definitely will have you come back on and speak to those and we can get uh, people involved and get them engaged because that's important for history. I appreciate you having me and do know that just this morning, I was talking to the Kennedy Center about the outdoor gospel festival for the spring. Oh, right. Right now. 
Okay, <laughs> we're gonna come back and talk about it. Yeah, we're we're gonna need, gonna need to be shouting at the Kennedy Center, okay? All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, this concludes our showing for today, you all. Thank you so much for inviting us into your home, into your airways. Dr. Truesdale, as always, it is a pleasure and an honor to talk with you. Cannot wait to talk with you again. I'm Jones Harwell signing off. You've been listening to Journeys with Jones Harwell. <laughs>